Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Good morning and welcome to another exciting episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Jeff Richard. And I'm Michael O'Brien, also known as Mob. And in our green room, we've got a really exciting guest today, haven't we, Jeff? Yes, we do. You know, ever since uh, we announced the exciting news uh, about the new developments at Chaosium, we've been thinking, you know, we've had an awful lot of discussions just about Glorantha and archaeology, but you know, we really need to bring in that other big passion of ours, mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu. And, yeah. and I don't know about you, Ma, but I have been playing Call of Cthulhu since the early 80s. Oh, I think I've got a copy of Call of Cthulhu 1st Edition sitting on my bookcase. So that's how long I go back as well. So our our exciting guest here is the line developer or line editor for Call of Cthulhu. So uh, uh, I guess this is a little bit of incestuous nepotism because he actually works for us. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, bring on Mr. Mike Mason. We'll Mike, bring him out there? of... Yeah, we'll bring him out of our green room. And where is our virtual green room for this episode, Mike? Um, <laughs> hi. Hi, both of you. Um, the virtual green room uh, at the minute is in uh, in Nottingham in England. There you go. And I'm in Melbourne, Australia. And Jeff, you're still in your bunker in Berlin. I'm in beautiful grey Berlin. Well, welcome to Tales of Mythic Adventure, Mike. And... Um, for the benefit of our listeners who don't know much about yourself, just tell us a bit about uh, what is your role in Chaosium? Um, my um, my role is to um, look after the Call of Cthulhu uh, game line, uh, the role-playing game. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I work with authors uh, to uh, develop manuscripts into, into uh, books, which can be... Uh, Normally, either uh, scenario books, uh, campaigns of linked scenarios, or source books such as the ones in our Secrets of range. Um, I also do uh, a bit of writing myself, so uh, I uh, co-wrote the new edition of Call of Cthulhu that's uh, you know due out very soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, all things Cthulhu, I think, is probably the easy way to say there to answer the question. That is an all-encompassing answer. So Call and of Cthulhu... And you were the lead writer on the 7th edition of the Call of Cthulhu rules, correct? Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I, wrote, uh, I wrote that alongside uh, a colleague of mine, uh, uh, Paul Fricker, and um, we put that together, and uh, as well as the, um, the new Investigator Handbook and, uh, and the line of books that are coming out thereafter. You know, mm. That's uh, kind of been my... Uh, focus for the last uh, few years you know interestingly um at gen con um i was wearing paul fricker's badge for some reason because obviously <laughs> paul couldn't be there and uh that was the easiest badge for us to organize so i had a number of people coming up and having long chats to me and saying nice to meet you paul and things like that so i'm i, I apologize now to paul if people come up to him and say you don't look like what you used to look like last time i spoke to you <laughs> <laughs> well mike given that we're getting very close to the long-awaited release of the seventh edition of call of cthulhu could why don't you tell people what's different and what's better about this uh seventh edition version of the rules Sure. 
Um, previously, um, previous um, new editions of Call of Cthulhu have, have, have not been um, a, you know, any particular, they've not seen any particular rules developments. There's been a few minor tweaks here and there, um, but effectively it's been the same rule set that's been reprinted, perhaps with some new artwork and normally with some new material added in. Um, and what has happened over the years is that that kind of core rulebook has kind of grown and expanded with lots of cool stuff in it, but it's not essentially been um, reformatted and restructured. So the new stuff has kind of been bolted in. And so you may find that uh, in old editions, uh, such as you might have a combat chapter, but there might be more rules on combat that can be found somewhere else in the book, um, which kind of makes it a little hard to kind of navigate sometimes. So the new edition has been has been completely rewritten um, from the ground up. So all the all the different types of rules are in one place, uh, you know, in one section per per types of rules. Um, so it's a lot easier to read. It's much more logically kind of uh, presented. Um, also, um, we kind of tweak the rules a little further um, and um, try to um, streamline some of the. Uh, some of the things in the game, such as such as combat, where uh, in older editions there, there may have been times when um, people kind of were in a combat situation where they just kept missing each other and not hitting. So we've kind of introduced an opposed role into combat um, that means um, things happen pretty much every round and um, is a little bit more realistic in a sense because in most real fights um, you won't you wouldn't just stand there missing each other. Something would happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it kind of mirrors uh, real life to a little degree. Um, also, we've introduced um, uh, a whole uh, chapter on chases, which um, had kind of had a, a small um, uh, rule before, but we've kind of expanded that to kind of almost be the equal of the combat chapter, uh, as we felt that in many of the kind of original kind of source material in terms of Lovecraft stories, chases were just as important as combat. And oh, for sure. Far more important. I, I, I'm trying may... to think how many actual combats there ever were in the original Lovecraft stories. Well, this is it. There's very few. There's very few. I mean, they do happen, but um, but likewise, you know, people people running away from the uh, the horrors of the, of the mythos is... Uh, is probably happens a, a, a lot more. So we wanted to present a fairly, you know, uh, flexible and easy to pick up chase system that would allow you to kind of effectively recreate something like the chasing from the Shadow River Innsmouth, the uh, the Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also we introduced, have one of uh, actually one of, in my opinion, one of Lovecraft's best written action scenes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Where where much of the the the, the suspense in the story comes from uh, the. Uh, unnamed narrator trying to uh, get away from deep ones and the weird inhabitants of the city. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of hopefully, you know, mirrors that kind of thing. Um, we've also introduced a mechanic that's called pushing the role. So um, you may find that time to time in Call of Cthulhu, you, you make a skill role. You're trying to make a, uh, trying to climb a wall perhaps, and uh, you make the, you fail the role. Um so what we've introduced is the push mechanic. So it allows the player another attempt at that role, but they have to justify it. They have to say why, you know, what are they doing over and above what they did before to really get another chance to climb that wall? So it might be that the first time you tried and uh, you failed the role and you kind of couldn't really get a good footing, you couldn't really get the momentum up the, uh, the side of the wall. Um, so you, you say you're going to push the role because you're going to throw yourself at the wall 
try and land about five feet up the wall, grab what you can, and then just scramble for, you know, for all your dear life to the top. So you're not only, um, you know, getting an extra attempt, but you're pushing the actual action. You're making it far more intense. You're, you're, you're risking more. So, um, oh, I can see this to, making uh, this very then atmospheric, isn't it? Yeah, it, it you're getting desperation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, well, um, and isn't this isn't this also all a way to to solve the to help solve the problem of what do you do in uh, an investigation where because the players can't scramble over the key wall that is necessary in order <laughs> to find the all important clue that lets them move on to the next part of the adventure, you know, you've, you've just got to have uh, some ways to help the players get there. Uh, otherwise, yeah. otherwise the game gets kind of, it, it kind of sucks if you're trying, if the, the story of the game is, you know, trying to investigate the mythos and because of crappy roles, you can't even get the clues. Well, that's, that's right. I, I mean, it does help to kind of solve that, that issue that sometimes arises. And, um, the, the caveat as obviously because you're pushing the role, you're pushing what you're doing, you're increasing the risk. If you fail that push roll, it kind of gives the keeper license to kind of make things worse for you, uh, which uh, also in effect can drive the story further. And uh, we've seen through many kind of play tests and, and example games uh, subsequently that um, it really does kind of add, not only adds to the tension and the fun and the drama, but actually really pushes the story along too, because all sorts of consequences can happen because of a, a failed push roll. Not necessarily ones directly related to the to the role you were making, but actually related to the nature of the plot. Uh, but as you say, Jeff, it does uh, it does help to kind of um, get around some of those issues where perhaps the scenario has been designed in such a way that there's a, a bit of a, 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 you know, a bottleneck in terms of the clue distribution. Um, obviously, good scenario design obviously gets rid of that also, but, uh, but certainly the push mechanic um, goes a long way to helping to... Uh, you know, help keepers out. You know, if they get stuck with their players. So, so, uh, so Mike, is, is uh, are the key elements that made Call of Cthulhu such a stayer? Are they there in this this game? Oh, absolutely. The, the 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 core the core design ethic in terms of the new edition was to ensure that it would be fully compatible with everything that's gone before for the game, and also to remain true and to the um, to what what a game of Call of Cthulhu is. So, um, it, it, although the, you know there are some you know slightly different rules and some tweaks here and there, it still feels like you're playing Call of Cthulhu. It's still it's still the same game. You're just perhaps making you know you're perhaps making the same dice rolls, but perhaps you're interpreting the results slightly differently now. Um, so, um, the whole you know I've had many players obviously play test the game and and uh, play play through things and. And we had a worldwide play test, and um, the feedback came through that yeah, it's still the same game, guys. It, we, it feels just as good. There's still, uh, you know, you still got to watch onto your sanity. That still gets eroded, and um, you know, it's still a great game about you know uncovering the, the horrors and the mysteries of the Cthulhu mythos. Well, one one last follow up softball question here. So for those people that still are sitting on their third or fourth edition of the rules, what's your why why should they go ahead and buy the seventh edition? I think what it has, it it for the first time it brings everything together in one place. It's a consistently um thought through book. 
Um, it's got all the references are in there. It's it streamlines the games. It gets rid of some of those little kind of problem issues that many people have have house ruled. To be honest, so what you found over the years is where where keeper where keepers have found a, uh, an issue for them in the rules, they've made their own house rules up. So what we've done is we've actually built the rulebook as a toolkit. So those are your standard core rules, which are like any other edition, with a few tweaks here and there. But also there's a there's a mass of optional rules in each of the actual rules chapters to allow keepers to actually mix and match and fine-tune the system to, to their style of play that they have with their gaming group. So it gives you a lot of um, versatility, a lot of flexibility, and and a lot of options and resources for you to use in your game. So I think um, the other thing on top of that is is a wealth of advice that has been built into the book and also examples of play and examples of how to use certain rules. So it gives a lot of advice to keepers as well as players if they pick up the player's handbook, the uh, the uh, investigator handbook. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike, I, I'm, I'm actually just checking here and I, I've, I've discovered to my chagrin... I actually owned the game, the Games Workshop version that came out, which was yes. second edition, not first edition. So there oh, you go. Oh, you silly man. <laughs> but anyway. You don't have the original box set? I have the original Games Workshop set, which oh, I'm well, checking here is, is second edition. Anyway, that, that leads me to a question though. This game has been around since 1981. And is still immensely popular. What is it? What What do you think it is that uh, has made this game a perennial favourite now for for so many years? Um, I think Call of Cthulhu is 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 a is an odd game if you look at it um, uh, in uh, comparison to you know the vast majority of other role playing games on the market. It's kind of the inverse of those games in that. The fact that in in a standard role playing game, perhaps you know the character you have is a is very much a kind of um, probably a heroic figure, and it, it's very much about the accumulation of of um, power, wealth, ability, you know, mastery of weapons, and and all that kind of thing. Whereas Call of Cthulhu is is not about that at all. It's about normal normal people living effectively normal lives who get thrust into uh, these incredibly Tense, dangerous, horrific, mysterious situations where actually they're not. They're, although they might get slightly better in, in doing things, they might get better at running or climbing a wall because they do it more often. <laughs> they don't actually. They don't get stronger in terms of they don't. Their hit points don't go up. In fact, what's likely is that their, their mental hit points, their sanity score, is going to actually go down. So actually, your characters kind of get worse the more you play. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's the that's one of the things that I love the most about Cthulhu is it's the complete inverse of the uh, of the classic uh, character arc, where the characters start weak and incompetent and work their way up to becoming tougher, more competent, more generally um, uh, uh, heroic and impressive. Whereas your long-standing Call of Cthulhu characters have that have learned entirely too much about the things man was not meant to know and are half mad. They, you know, I, 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 I love it having a care, having the character at the point where my sanity is so low that I, I have to actually actively avoid uh, going into places that I know 
will break my character just by witnessing what's there. And I think for that reason, Jeff, it, it's because you're, you know, you're kind of mirroring real life, you know, real people, you know, do, do kind of get worse as they get older in a sense, in, in effect of their, their abilities and, and, and things like that in, in some ways, especially, in, you know, in the context of a horror game. Um, it makes them all the more heroic because they're not these super powered, you know, muscle bound heroes wielding swords and, and magic and left and right. They're actually just normal guys and girls who, who have the resources they have to hand and they've got to make the best of it. And, and it makes them all the more heroic because they are the, the few that are, are standing between, you know, the horrors of the Cthulhu <laughs> mythos and, and possibly the end of the world. You know, your, 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 your librarian or car mechanic or, or private eye, um, it, 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 you know, one of those few people that are going to actually stop the world ending or the, you know, the horrors of the mythos coming, you know, coming out and, and taking over, taking over this, this realm. So, um, I think, you know, it's a really heroic kind of game in that sense. And it is, it is probably the only game where in fact librarian is one of the uh, key character types that you uh, could take. Forward. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Which I'm sure librarians all around the world are really uh, are really keen to keen to embrace. So the game has been through uh, six editions, but the the sixth edition actually came out some time ago now, didn't it? Maybe ten years ago. Yeah, it's around about ten years. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it is it is well and truly time for uh, the seventh edition. So the um, the PDF has actually been out for a for a, a while, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, the uh, the PDF was made available to uh, to people some time ago. The Kickstarter the of, backers, yeah, yeah, Kickstarter backers, and then and then was made more widely available from the uh, Chaosium website. So uh, people have been um, you know been using it um, to run to run uh, that run their campaigns and games for for quite a few months now. Mm-hmm. So what's what's on the agenda once once it actually hits uh, release? What have what have you got lined up for coming out for it um, after it's out there? Yeah, well, the, obviously the initial release you've got the actual main core keepers rule book, uh, and alongside that you have the investigators handbook, which is a, a book that's specifically written for players of the game. It hasn't got all of the rules in, but it does include character generation, mm-hmm. but also lots of advice on uh, on how to conduct an investigation and uh, equipment and all the kind of stuff that you know information and stuff that uh, players would find useful in the game as a handy uh, mm-hmm. handy resource. Um, alongside that, there's the um, Keeper's Screen, which is obviously uh, de rigueur for any, any role-playing game, but that comes with two scenarios and some um, handy reference booklets. And um, Wow, that really comes cool... with the Keeper's Screen. They come with the Keeper's Screen, and there's also mm. three um, full-colour posters, the World of Cthulhu, the um, Lovecraft's Arkham, and uh, Lovecraft Country, which uh, is a whole kind of region that Lovecraft wrote about within some of his stories. So well, that's know, all packed into a keeper screen, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that's that's one really great uh, aspect of the whole mythos and the Call of Cthulhu uh, genre, is the, the artwork is, is quite amazing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, there... Yeah, I mean, this is the first full-colour um, Call of Cthulhu edition ever made, and so it's... Uh, a gorgeous book to look at, let alone you know, let alone use and play. So we've got uh, a whole wealth of you know new art in there from a range of fantastic artists that uh, 
you know, just makes the book kind of really come alive, really. So let's take you back. When did you, when did you first start playing Call of Cthulhu? I think it would have been around about 82, maybe 83. So, so that's first going back a long second. way, yeah. That's going back a way, yeah. And uh, I think I kind of, I didn't know what Cthulhu was. It's just a strange jumble of letters and, and read about, uh, there was a magazine, I think it was Imagine Magazine in the UK that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, had a, um, had an article about the game and a short story. Uh, and uh, I just read it and thought, this is fantastic. I love the story, I think, at the time. I can't remember what it was now, but some some mythos horror. And I um, thought, I've got to give this a go. And um, picked it up, immediately fell in love uh, with, with the game because I'm, you know, I'm a big horror fan, so I love horror films and horror books. And that sent me, sent me searching out to find, you know, more stories by Lovecraft and, and the other guys who were writing around that time, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert Block, and Robert E. Howard, and so on. And that just opened the whole universe of, wow, you know, I got into the, the whole kind of literary side as well as the gaming side, and uh, never really looked back, really. Well, what do you think has been um, uh, the key to Cthulhu catching on you know, not just in role-playing games, but you know, since the Call of Cthulhu game came out in 81, there's just been a general resurgence of interest in Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, you know, you see, uh, even here in, in Berlin, I, I see the occasional bumper sticker with uh, uh, Cthulhu replacing the Christian fish. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. it's, it's, it's got just mass pop culture uh connection now what's your explanation for it why are we so interested in uh these alien gods that have that will doom us all and there's nothing we can do about it <laughs> i think there's a couple of reasons there's a couple of things that have brought uh lovecraft and the cthulhu mythos to to you know to wider attention i think one of those things is is Stuart gordon's films such as reanimator and dagon and uh from beyond which were very popular kind of uh, you know fun horror films released back in the day in this sort of towards the sort of late eighties and into the nineties and beyond. Um, I think that that helped kind of raise some consciousness, and I think the game itself, I think Call of Cthulhu, um, opened itself out into the kind of wider kind of role playing market, which then um, grew people's interest. Many people had never heard of Lovecraft. Many many uh, people, and um, the game kind of once you picked up the game, you kind of uh, were inspired to go and seek not only Lovecraft out, but many other writers of this of this kind of ilk. And um, I think those two things really helped to kind of start to build a foundation foundation of familiarity in, in the wider public consciousness. And subsequently, we've seen you know hints and and, and outright overt um, references to the Cthulhu mythos in in many many kind of mainstream things. You know, from mm. you know from just you know reading books to TV, True Detective on TV, um, and, uh, and films. You can't kind of, anything that's got a sort of a slightly twisty kind of dark um, conspiracy or kind of alien quality to it, it, it seems um, <laughs> essential that there is some sort of reference to um, the Cthulhu mythos. So I think it's just sort of steadily grown in people's consciousness and, and um, become this sort of very kind of popular, almost pop icon in a way. And I think it's that kind of uh, Cthulhu himself is this kind of 
you know, immense, horrific, sanity-inducing terror um, that people that there's a kind of an inverse kind of comedic reaction to turn him into a, a plushy doll, or and you know he's so cute and uh, that kind of thing. It's that kind of um, kind of almost dark humour about it, really. Mm. So Lovecraft himself, um, you know. He wasn't actually commercially successful in uh, in his life as a writer, was he? He, um, I think, he no. died died in obscurity and in and and in relative poverty. Um, uh, he had been supported earlier in his life by his splendidly named grandfather, hadn't he, Jeff? Oh gosh, what was his name? It was um, Whipple. Um, Whipple, Whipple wasn't Phillips. it? <laughs> Whipple what? Phillips. Whipple yeah. Phillips. Whipple Phillips. Now, is that just the most awesome name? Whipple, actually, it's an even better name than that. It's Whipple Van Buren Phillips. Yes, Whipple Van is... Buren, after, of course, yes. President Martin Van Buren. Yeah. The Wizard of New York, which <laughs> but, uh, somewhere there, there's got to be some sort of, of strange mythos connection. And I guess, uh, as a tangent, that that's... In my opinion, that's one of the reasons why uh, Lovecraft stories and his mythos is is got so popular is that it's it's so easy to take some existing set of facts or an existing storyline or a genre or whatnot and infect it with the mythos. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I we can we could play the game of of. Um, why was uh, Martin Van Buren called the president or the wizard of New York? And is there some connection to wizard Watley? Uh, and, and was, uh, was actually good Mr. Whipple, uh, secretly a member of a great cult, which passed on some of this knowledge to HB Lovecraft, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's just, it's just so easy. It's, it's, it's better than, who shot JFK or, or more mundane conspiracy theories. Cause you can connect anything to anything through the mythos. Including well, that, the assassination of JFK, probably. Oh, well, absolutely. Well, There's a mythos interpretation sure. of it. I mean, that's I mean, um, one of the beauties of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Although the kind of default settings for the game are the, the kind of 1920s, the period when Lovecraft was alive and writing, and also the modern day, it lends itself to any historical period. So, you know, we've got a, a line of books that focus on Victorian England, Gaslight, uh, Dark Ages, and and but equally, you know, people write scenarios that are just set in the time, uh, you know, a particular time that they're interested in. And and all all history has these momentous kind of interesting characters, strange events, um, mysteries, conspiracies, which, as you say, uh, it's very easy to twist and just insert mm. that kind of um, Cthulhu kind of. Uh, theme to it to make it uh, you know really viable and easy to create scenario for Call of Cthulhu. You know, I was um, I got a little bit distracted by Whipple Van Buren because it's such a wonderful name. But... How can you not be distracted <laughs> by that? It's just too awesome. <laughs> but the question I was actually going to ask is: uh, H.P. Lovecraft was, uh, I think, by all accounts, a very socially awkward person and not very good at putting himself forward and so on. How do you think he'd react today to just see how? incredibly popular and widespread this this mythos that he invented was given that uh, he died at a, an early age i believe he was in his mid 40s and died not knowing that it was going to be popular like this 
Sure. I mean, I, I probably would take issue in the fact that I think he was quite a personal, per, personable person. He had a, a really wide range of fans, uh, sorry, friends, and travelled quite extensively to, to see them uh, during the latter years of his life. Um, but he, but he is, he has got this kind of a bit of a reputation of a, as a bit of a recluse and uh, and uh, loner in that regard. Um, but I think um, I don't know what he think. I think he loved the fact that people were enjoying his creations and uh, and furthering them because he was very, always very um, supportive and encouraging to other writers to take what he had written and to expand upon it and and to do more with it. And so I think seeing that you know re- happen in a re- very real sense um, would uh, would obviously be a you know, hopefully a you know a, a pleasant thing for him. I'm not sure how he would take Plush Cthulhu's and and role playing itself. I'm not sure whether that would be up his up his alley, so to speak. But um, I'm pretty sure we could convince him to give it a go once or twice, and then see what he thought. <laughs> Very good, um, Mike. We are just about at the end of uh, our episode because uh, Toma has moved to a 30 minute format. But that just means that we're going to have to have you back again at some time. Uh, very <laughs> hey, soon, here's a question, Mob. Can, do we have enough time to ask him the three questions? I think we have to finish with the three questions. We do this with our guests, and we're, we're going to ambush you here, uh, Mike. Okay. And this comes from the MGF rules, the maximum game fund rules. And and actually, with uh, with the... What you've in, in, injected into Call of Cthulhu 7 where players get a chance to do things that uh, they weren't able to do before uh, out of desperation kind of fits in with this. And I'm going to ask you some questions and you've got to give me, give me your answers just off the top of your head. So, Mike, tell us, what does everybody know about you as a gamer? That I um, often employ... Um Accents and voices when I'm portraying non-player characters. You're doing a very good accent for this episode, actually, because... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and what what's something that uh, people wouldn't know about you as a gamer? Ooh, um... Now you've got me. Well, while you're thinking about that one, I'm going to ask you the other two questions, okay? These are the other MGF questions. Um, What do you do better than the average gamer when you're playing or refereeing? I try to um, ensure that everyone is having a good time. Um, I'm not always sure that every um, game runner out there focuses on all the players all the time but I try and ensure that everyone everyone around the table has their moment to shine uh, I guess that's that's one of the things very, I try and do every very time. good and what's what's then the flip side of that what's something that you actually do worse than than the average gamer oh um, I uh, <laughs> I'm terrible about uh, um, you yeah, know running off in the direction I want to run off in <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily what it, where anyone else wants to go. <laughs> Very good. Hey, can we get your answer to that uh, that other question though? So, what's the other question? Remind me. Again. So, so we asked you, um, what does everybody know about you as a gamer? And we were going to finish with, what do people don't necessarily know about you as a gamer? I go back to uh, some of our other guests. What have some of our other guests said for that question that really floored everyone, Jeff? Um, uh, uh, 
that people oh, don't know it? about them. Well, Sandy, San, uh, remember Sandy's was was absolutely awesome. I'm just trying to think what was that one. He was a typesetter. Oh, that's right. Yes, <laughs> he actually typeset the uh, the RuneQuest releases that came out. So he was actually editing them as he was doing the typesetting. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow! I guess um, <laughs> what people probably not not necessarily know would be that um, when I was um, putting together the Dark Heresy role playing game, obviously I tried to insert as much of the Cthulhu mythos into that without it being called the Cthulhu mythos. So there's quite oh. a lot of... <laughs> yeah, tentacle no way. In there. No way! The right, look in the right dark corners, you'll find a bit there and here, here and there. <laughs> hey, well, folks, you heard this here first on Tales of Mythic Adventure with our guest, Mike Mason, who is the uh, line editor of Call of Cthulhu for Chaosium. Mike, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on and we would love to have you back and we probably don't need to ask you the questions the next time but we'd love <laughs> to have you back well that would be that would be great it's been a pleasure pleasure guys thanks very much okay. well i'm jeff richard and i'm and i'm mob and uh we'll catch you next time this has been another episode of tales of mythic adventure a chaosium production starring jeff richard and michael o'brien with special guest mike mason Tales of Mythic Adventure is produced by Robert Love. No cattle were raided during the course of this episode. As far as you know.